Well, welcome to Harvest. If you <coughs> came in, in late today, um, I shared a, a brief announcement, um, an update about what's going on with our, our building project. Um, I'm not going to belabor the point because you can read about it in the insert of your bulletin another time. But basically, um, the prayer that we, we were praying for Mr. Bear to give us these buildings at forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, we didn't get that. But um, we believe that for a little bit more, uh, we got something a whole lot better. And so you could read more about that. Um, we're excited as... Um, as I was sharing with, with different people and as we're talking about this, we really sense this is God's leading. Uh, we feel like God is, is wanting. And from the outset, we said, hey, you know what? Um, God wants to see people saved. He wants to see the generations raised up. He wants to see us be a light here. Um, we're not asking him to bless our dreams and our desires and our vision. Uh, we're, just, we're just seeing what God desires and then putting our lives in that path and then calling us to sacrificially give in order to make God's dream uh, reality. And so we feel like God is is, is blessing that. And so um, it's been an eventful week. Thursday, <clears throat> Thursday, we found out that news and we celebrated. You know, I celebrated with Olive and with, with others that I was with, and um, we're really excited about that. Um, Friday, I was able to, to celebrate um, Olivia's birthday. Um, we had a, a wonderful time uh, remembering God's faithfulness in her life. And, and then last night, she spent, um, she spent last night in a hospital um, in triage in the uh, emergency room of Winnie Palmer Hospital. Um, because of uh, some complications that she had with um, with her pregnancy, and so um, everything is is I think it's it's I mean it's definitely stable now. She's going to hear at about twelve o'clock. The doctor's going to come in and, and and check on things to make sure that she's okay. But um, for a lot of last night, there was there was um, a little bit of fear. There was some you know a lot of stuff going on. Um, there was uh, talk about potentially having to to bring the baby out at at twenty nine weeks, and um, so there was. Um, yeah, you know, a little bit of, of, of craziness going on there, but um, we feel like God's um, peace has been over us the entire time. Um, I think these two things that I just mentioned this morning are not coincidental. You know, we've been talking about how every building project, it, it is spiritual warfare. It is, um, and we've experienced this because we're fighting to see souls saved. We're seeing the kingdom of God move forward, and the enemy doesn't want that, right? He's pushing against that. He's fighting against that, and I don't know if you felt that, but my family certainly has. My children have felt it in the middle of the night, waking up um, with all kinds of stuff going on. And, and with this, it could have happened on any day, but it just so happened that we, we went in on Saturday night. Um, but we feel like even in the midst of all this, you know, the enemy wants to fight and he wants to distract us and to tell us, hey, you know what, don't do this, don't move forward with this. But um, he's not going to stop us, right? Because we are the people of God. We are victorious. We belong to him. He's the winner. Uh, he holds our lives in the palm of his hand. And um, we're going to move forward because we believe his kingdom is invincible. We believe that God's doing a work and we're part of it. And so I would invite you to continue to to pray um, for our project. Pray for God's blessing and protection. Pray for my family. Pray for Olivia, especially um, as she and and her little baby, our little baby, as we um, go through this next season of of this waiting and and seeing how the Lord is going to lead us. But as um, last night, uh, Olivia was, was hooked up to... Um, she was hooked up to a lot of machines. It was a little bit um, weird. Um, some of you guys saw a picture of, of Jason Lee and, and Yin Gyeong Lee's daughter, Emmeline. She had um, bronchitis, so she had a, um, I think it was a gas mask, an oxygen mask over her, and, and they posted on Facebook. It's so sad. Like, so, like, oh, my gosh, how can you? I mean, I, I, I wrote on there. I said, how can I like this picture? I mean, I, I like because I'm praying, but I can't like that picture. You know, it's kind of weird. I was looking at Olive, and I was, Olive and I was feeling the same thing. She has these IVs and IVs dripping into her. She um, she had about five different kinds of medicines and shots and drugs and steroids. And I asked the nurse if I could have some steroids, but she said, you don't need it. <laughs> Just kidding. But 
uh, looking at her. A um, couple thoughts. One, um, obviously my heart was heavy as I was looking at my, my bride of seven years. And at the same time, the other thought was, wow, I am so thankful because I believe that I married well. And I was, I was talking with Olive the entire time. There's not a single complaint, not a single question. It was always just trusting God and everything's going to be all right. God is good, even in the midst of it. She, I asked, you know, the, the nurse asked her what the pain level was, and she told her it wasn't very high, but she told me in the room, like at about 5.30, the pain level was about 15 out of 10, right? One out of 10. Um, so I was looking at her, and I was, um, I was just thinking to myself, wow, I am so grateful that I married well. Because there's a whole lot of responses, a whole lot of reactions that a person could have had in the midst of a situation like that. But I feel like God's grace and mercy in my life was such that, yeah, this was outside of me putting my trust in Jesus Christ years back, the most important decision that I ever made. And it's one that continues to, re- I, I, I thought to myself, I don't want any, I wouldn't want anyone else to be a role model for my daughter. And I don't want anyone else to be the kind of woman that my son wants to marry besides his mommy. This is important. I'm not just talking about this so that I can, you know, get it out there as an announcement, but I'm talking about because it, this is what we're talking about today. Before we started this four weeks of, of sermons on the vision of why we're building, we're in this series called It's All About Jesus. Um, we got to a point, we, we started in the, in the book of Genesis, and we're just tracking from creation until the very end, talking about how everything in Scripture, everything in the Bible, teaches us, prepares us, points to, reflects, reveals the work of, of Jesus Christ. And so we started by looking at Calvary. We looked at Adam and Eve. We looked at their sin. Genesis 3.15, it then tells us that there's going to be a seed coming from this woman, Eve, that will one day be the Savior of the world. And then we saw Cain and Abel. We saw, well, which of these, which of these is going to be Cain or Abel? Cain was a bad guy. Abel's a good guy. Cain kills Abel. What's going to happen to the seed? What's going to happen to the promise? And then God provides Seth. And through that, uh, through that child, the seed of the promise is propagated and continued on and on with Noah, with the Tower of Babel, with Abraham. Abraham was a guy that God plucked out of a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, and he gave him a bunch of promises and says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through this one man. That I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make you, I'll give you a, a, a major promised land. And everyone that you bless, I'm going to bless. And everyone that you curse, I'm going to curse. And you are going to be the focal point of human history amongst uh, the people of that, that ancient age. And so we saw that that promise was given, but it, was, it seemed kind of like an unfulfilled promise because at the age of 100, Abraham still didn't have any children. The age of 100. You know anyone who's 100 years old trying to have kids? Right, this was Abraham, and he's like, dude. I... And at the age of 100, God blessed Abraham with a child named Isaac. And the last thing we saw in this series before we began the new year was God asked Abraham to take that child of the promise and to sacrifice him on a mountain. We saw that faith isn't faith until... Well, faith is proven a lot of times when that faith doesn't make sense. 
So today we're going to fast forward that narrative of true historical characters and true historical events. We're going to fast forward about 20, 30 years. The same promise has been given to Abraham, but at this juncture in, in Genesis 24, at this point in time, Abraham is about to die. His wife has already died, and his son Isaac is the one who's going to inherit the promises. So Genesis chapter 24, we're going to read um, verses 1 through um, 29. It's, it's important to read because it's a fascinating account and so rich in detail and importance. I'm going to start with verse 1, and then we're going to read um, about four verses, and then I'm going to pause, and then we'll read the rest of it. It says, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. This is weird, but I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And so if you read, um, look in, in a chapter earlier, chapter 23 in verse 1, it says Sarah lived to be 127 years old um, and then she died. Okay, so what do we got? That mother's tent in Israel is empty, right? Because Sarah is dead. Abraham is about to die because he's really old. The promises given to him right, need to be propagated to the next generation. Isaac has got these promises. But the problem is Isaac is 40 years old and he's still single. And Abraham's like, how is the promise going to, you can't have a great nation if you don't even have a kid. You can't have a great nation if you don't even have a wife. And so Abraham's dying wish is to his chief servant in charge of everything that he did, the most entrusted servant, the one he trusts the most. He says, you need to go find a wife for Isaac. Go find a wife for Isaac, and then I can die in peace. This whole deal about putting your hand under my thigh, this was a, a weird thing. It's, the thigh is actually a euphemism for the male reproductive organ, right? Because oaths were made in that place, especially as he's dying, oftentimes they would do this as that organ being the sign of life. And so he's saying, I'm about to die, but swear to me that you'll continue this line going even as I die, that my story will continue. And this is what he's doing. And so chapter 24, verse 5, we're going to pick up and then read through verse 20, uh, 28 here. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning his, this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. 
See, I'm standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink it. And I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on, on her shoulder. She was a daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. This is God's word. This is good stuff. You read the rest of the chapter, um, you see that they end up uh, getting married and, and all this craziness happens. Today is a love story. This is where we are. So today, um, suspend your imagination for a second. I'm no longer DL today. I am we're dyslexic. Call me LD because the love doctor is in the house. All right. I'm going to tell you about, tell you a little bit about love here. I originally, when I, when I wrote this out, I had about 10 points, 10 simple rules for dating my, my son, but um, I boiled it down for the sake of time to four. Okay. So four simple thoughts about that Abraham gives about dating his son. All right. First thing here, first thing here, it takes more than two to make a thing go right. Okay, you know that, that song by, oh, who was it? Rob Bass. <laughs> Eugene was really excited about it. He's ready. Rob Bass, right? Takes two to make a thing go right. Takes two to make it out of sight. And so this is what Rob Bass, this is what the world says. But from the very outset, you see that Abraham, wasn't even Isaac going to look for his own wife. Right? Abraham says, this is what I need. Okay, this is what I need. You got to go find a wife for my son and it's this impossible mission. Here's, here's the mission, if, in, in case you didn't get it here. He's saying three things about, my, three, three things about this, this, this girl you need to find. One, you can't get her from Canaan, right? This is where they are. This is the promised land, and all kinds of, of wicked people are here. He said, don't get her from Canaan. In fact, go back to my hometown and get somebody who is of my lineage so that the promised line will not be defiled. And so he sends his servant on this incredible mission, right? This is an impossible mission because after he does that, okay, this is what, this basically is what Abraham is asking. You find this woman, and then after you do that, you ask her, after you've known her for a day, to come back with you 500 miles and to marry a man that she's never known and live in a land that she's never before seen. 
this is basically what he's asking him, asking him and what the servant is asking Rebecca to do. Now, this, is, this is important because the whole thing is shrouded in all of this as you read it. The first thing he does is pray, right, which obviously we need to be doing when we're looking for love. We're looking for somebody. Right? The first thing that we have to do is we have to pray. Right? And he, he, verse 12, he prays. Verse 26, he prays. He brackets the entire mission in prayer. I've told you this before, but I'm praying for my son, Elijah, and for his future wife. He's two years old, not even two years old. I'm praying for Manny. I've been praying for her since she was born that she would meet her future husband, and I'm praying for him because there's a lot of evil people in this world. You know that, right? There's a lot of wicked people, a lot of wicked men in this world, a lot of wicked boys in this world. I know that because I'm a guy too, and you know that a lot of wicked people. There's also a lot of wicked women out there, and so I'm praying, God, help them not to be like that and help their future spouse to not be like that. I don't want to take my chances with somebody who's just making their own decisions. I want to pray for them, pray for their future spouse, that they would be ready so that by the time they meet them, that they'd be ready to have a God-centered relationship. This is the first thing that he does. He shrouds it all in prayer, but he completely is, there's all these other people involved in this story. I'm not saying that well, it takes more than two to make a thing go right, that you need to go around and date 50 people and date 15 people, date 12 people, be on The Bachelorette and all these things in order to find your person. I'm not. In fact, it's the opposite of that. I think the more we date around, the more we give our hearts to people, then the less we will have to ultimately give to the person that God calls us to spend our lives with. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. But it's important to see that in all of this, all of this, he's saying you need to have other people involved in this. Verse 6, he says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Make sure that you don't take Isaac back to that place where he's going to give into, where he's potentially going to give into his old habits. If you're not yet dating or married, right, huge Right? Huge. Ask yourself, am I willing to let other people into my life? Am I willing to let other people into my love life, into my romantic life? And if not, then ask yourself, why not? A lot of times when I talk to our youth students, middle school, high schoolers, um, some of them, maybe they're a little bit scared of me. But when I talk to them, oh, usually their teacher says, you need to go talk to DL. And so I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And so finally they, they make the, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell your parents, okay, I'll go talk to them. So they come and they talk to me. They say, oh, I got something to talk to you about. I'm like, all right, what is it? Mm, well, like my parents, I'm not like getting along with them. And so what's going on? Well, like, you know, they speak Korean or they speak Chinese and I speak English and I, we can't communicate. All right, well, you got to learn the language. What else going on? Oh, my, my grades are not doing too well. How are your grades? Oh, I've got a 3.9. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, that's not the issue. That's not the issue that they're struggling with. And so at the end, they're like, oh, you know what? My mom texted me. She's here to pick me up. I, I just, by the way, I'm, I'm dating someone. I say, I go by. And they, they, they take off. Why? Because they figure it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Right? So they say after the fact, oh, by the way, I'm dating somebody. When I talk to a lot of our college and singles, it's the opposite, right? They come and they say, hey, you know what? I'm interested in this. Usually it's a guy. I'm interested in this girl, and um, I'm not sure what to do. And so we talk about it. And so um, I think if their hearts are wanting to, their hearts are, I, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that what they ask before they do anything because I feel like they're, they're trying to do this in a way that honors God. And they feel like if I don't have the approval of my spiritual authorities, then I don't know if this is the right thing for me to do. I think this is, I mean, this is, it's a, it's a great thing, but so many times we don't do this. 
And so many times we, we just try and do things together or do things with our own desires or try and do things, like I said last week, asking the people that we know are going to rubber stamp our decisions. And don't involve people who are praying for us. And don't involve people who are seeking after our spiritual well-being. Don't involve people who are, are looking out for the long-term best interest. How many people who do you know who because they didn't involve other people in their relationship, they fell into all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems and all kinds of hardship. He's saying, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Don't let him go back there. Whatever you do, make sure that you get around him so that he doesn't fall into sin, so he doesn't do sinful things. I have been um, been talking for a couple years with um, a couple college students who are up in Virginia. Um, some of you guys know know them, and I, I asked them if I could talk about this. But one of them is a is a guy named Josiah. He's the um, the younger son of uh, missionary James Chan, who came and spoke here a couple years back. Um, Josiah is a third year in college. Um, he's dating a girl named Clarissa, who's also a third year in college. Both of them go to school in Virginia, and um, we we've been talking. I've been talking with uh, Josiah for a while about about dating and relationships since he you know he started out in college and asking for thoughts and advice. And one of the things I, I said was, hey, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think this was like two years ago. I said, I don't think people should date until they're, they're done with college. I mean, honestly, that's what I felt because college is a time to go. There's a lot of reasons for it. Don't take that as gospel truth. Um, but that's what I said a couple years back. And so he said, you know, I'm interested in this girl. And, and they've liked each other since they were, they were first years in college. And so um, as I was talking with them and, 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 and praying with them, and it was this past summer where, um, I was speaking at a retreat up there, and they were both there. And so I, I asked them how things were going, and they felt like, you know, we're just waiting on God. We really want to do things right. Um, and I said, hey, you know, I think um, you guys are at a place where it would be good. I think it's good. I think you guys are ready. I see I changed my tune a little bit. I said, you guys have found a, a great person for each other. So I think you guys should prayerfully, and if you get the blessing of your parents and get the blessing of your pastor, you should you should go for it and move forward with it. And so... Um, we talked and we prayed, and then we went. Uh, they went back, and they said they would talk to their folks. And they came back, and obviously um, they're um, getting the blessing of his parents, who are very godly people. Very godly people is huge. And so they blessed that that relationship. They blessed uh, pastor. Their pastor said, "Yeah, you know, we'll be praying for you and and holding you guys accountable." And so uh, probably a couple or a few weeks after that conversation I had with them over the summer, I got an email from them saying, "Hey, you know, we're dating, and we're so excited." Thanks for praying for us. Keep on praying for us. And, and so they asked, you know, what should we do at this point? He, he asked, how can I lead in a godly way? And I, I basically said this same thing. This, this talk that I'm giving here is what I gave to him. And so um, after a little bit, he sent me this, this email, and he says, we made, um, a, relational, made a relational covenant here um, with boundaries about um, what we, how we want to honor God in our relationship. And so I asked him, I said, hey, can, can I read this to our people just to get a, to get a sense of what this could look like? And so he, you know, they were obviously very humble. They said, well, we are not perfect in any way, um, but we would be honored if God could use this to bless other people. So this is what they, um, this is what they wrote up together. And it was on like nice, beautiful paper in, in like cursive calligraphy handwriting. It says, resolve from hereafter to maintain a relationship that is holy and holy God's pleasing and honoring in his sight. Resolve from hereafter, Clarissa Cho, will view Josiah Cha as a brother in Christ first and foremost, and Josiah Cha will view Clarissa Cho as a sister in Christ first and foremost. Resolve from hereafter the relationship of Clarissa Cho and Christ and Josiah Cha and Christ will grow, only grow stronger. 
Resolve from hereafter, Clarissa Cho and Josiah Cha will not cross physical boundaries and so dishonor and disrespect each other. The only accepted forms, holding hands and hugging. Resolve from hereafter to save their last, first kiss for the altar. Resolve from hereafter, Clarissa Cho and Josiah Cha will spend time together in a way that glorifies God and will not be together past 12 o'clock a.m. unless present with others or in a group setting. Clarissa Cho and Josiah Chow will not enter each other's apartment if alone. Resolve from hereafter to have teachable hearts and always review the relationship to ask, are we glorifying God? Resolve from hereafter to be role models to brothers and sisters in GCF, which is their campus ministry, and to not start arguing in front of others, nor to have public displays of infection, of affection, not infection, of affection in front of others, to make any friends feel comfortable. Resolve from hereafter to have dates only once a week maximum. Resolve from hereafter to text one accountability partner if together at night. And they both signed it and they both listed the names of five um, accountability partners to whom they gave this letter, this covenant as well. That's a beautiful picture of people who just want to honor God in their relationship and they're not afraid to let other people into it because they want to do it in a way that honors God. They want to do it in a way that honors and respects each other and and doesn't compromise and doesn't lead to, because you know bad things happen when we're alone at night. We know bad things happen when you're alone, period. And so some of these things, they're, they're very specific to college context, but are safeguards created so that they could honor God in their relationship because it takes more than two to make a thing go right. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. So he makes it very clear in verse 3. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Then verse 6, make sure you do not take my son Back there. Why does he say these things? Why does he say? Because the easiest thing would be to find a Canaanite. Remember, this is the land that God had promised to them. The easiest thing would just be find a nice uh, Canaanite princess, lots of money, marry them together, consolidate their funds so that they could ensure that this land is their land of promise. But why didn't he? It's the same reason why he said, get it, get a wife from my line, from my people. So that these people, be, and it's the same reason he said, bring them back to this land. Why? Because it's not, about, it's not about ethnic separation or about racial separation. It's about religious separation. It's about not, not marrying somebody of a diff, who worships different gods. That's why he's saying you, they can't be from Canaan because these people worship different gods than you do. They have to worship the same God and also bring them back here or else he'll go into the old habits. But she, he couldn't marry a Canaanite woman because then the line would be mixed and it wouldn't be the pure um, blood of the Israelite people. This is what he's saying. It's so important because the blueprint upon which you build your lives are completely different if you're a follower of Christ and you're a follower of someone else. You know this, what are the standards of dating in the world? At the end of the night, you get a kiss. And they're saying at the end of our courtship, we get a kiss. The day we get married, that's going to be the first kiss. The world says if it feels good, do it. That's a bunch of, according to the word of God. 
The world tells us, yeah, you know what? Go and, and sleep around. You've got to find out if you're sexually compatible. God says, let the marriage bed be honored by all and be kept pure. Right? Marriage is saved. I'm sorry, sex is saved for marriage. No, you've, you know this. No wed, no bed, no ringy, no thingy. That's it. No contract, no contact. That's what God's word says. Because sexual union is the consummation of a relationship that is in the eyes of God, holy and set apart for him. Right? Sex consummates marriage. It's not something that you want to do because you want to have a happy ending to your night, to the end of your date. It's not. What blueprint are you going to live by if you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are uniting yourself with a follower of someone else? Again, this is the most important decision that you're going to make in your life. And I know that, you know, some of you say, my, my parents were like this also. Hey, you know what? Well, I want to, I, I, I'm, I'm dating them. I want to marry them because I care for them so much. I want to see them come to know Jesus. And I, that's a noble desire. But do you want so much for people to come to know Christ if it's not the one you're romantically involved with? And how much do we long for other people to come to know Christ? if they're not someone that we're dating or if not someone that we're trying to get married to. I know that at times it does happen where Christians and non-Christians get married and, and God, and if, if that's the case, man, we pray. That's, we pray like crazy that you would be united as one. But if you're not yet at that place, and, and we all know people who are Christians, dated non-Christians, and they got married and they became Christians. I understand that. It's kind of... It's the same deal with Elijah. Sometimes there's a game that um, Manny put on my phone called Dots where you, you touch these dots of the same color and they disappear. And the, Elijah was playing it the other day, and he was just like, Ugh. and And he scored points. Like, great. That's, a, that's fine, but that's not the way you play the game. Right? Sometimes it works out that way, but that's not, you don't want to presume on that. A lot of times that's what we do, though. Right? We want to, to, to do this missionary kind of dating in order to, to, to bring them to the Lord. But 2 Corinthians tells us we ought not be unequally yoked, a Christian with a non-Christian, a believer with an unbeliever. You know, this is, this is, the, this is a hard line that I have to draw because this, my conscience is at stake. My, bib, my conscience before God is at stake. Whenever I do premarital counseling, people say, hey, we're ready to get married, we're ready to get engaged, whatever it might be. The first thing that I always sit down, I say, hey, you know what? Um, I ask them, first of all, why do you want to get married? And second thing, I say, why do you want me to marry you? And the, the, the heart behind the second question is they want me as a Christian minister to marry them, as their pastor to marry them. But I'm saying as a Christian minister, I, I, I go by the word of God, right? This is the, the word. This is my handbook. This is my manual. And so I say this is the only two people that I can marry because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. Christians and non-Christians cannot marry each other. So I say, look, if you're both, if you both consider yourselves non-Christians, then I'll marry you together. That's fine. If you both consider yourselves Christians, then I'll marry you together. But this is how the Bible defines a Christian. Someone who's confessed that they're a sinner, knows that they need a Savior, believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, and have put their, their personal trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Hey, this is the only two kinds of people that I can marry. And, and so I send them home. I say, think about it, talk about it, pray about it, and come back, and we'll talk about where you guys stand in your relationship with God. And I've had to tell people, people that I love dearly, that I'm sorry. They've asked me to marry them, and I said, I cannot marry you guys. It's, it, it's, it's not an easy thing for me to tell somebody that I care about or somebody that I love, but I'd much rather say it then than to bless a union that I feel does not have God's blessing biblically over. 
And so this is the stance that the, the Bible takes. And this is, what, this is what Abraham is saying. Make sure, make sure, make absolutely certain. You do this at home sometime. You stand up on a stool. I wouldn't do this because I might hurt myself. But stand up on a stool after service. Maybe you can do this or on a chair and have someone try and pull you off that chair. Even if you're like 300 pounds more than they are, it's not going to be hard for them to do it. But you stand up on that chair and you try and pull someone up onto it, it's going to be a whole lot harder to do that. A lot of times we say, I'm going to pull them up to become like Christ. But more often than not, they're the ones who are pulling us down to become more like the world. First thing, doesn't it takes more than two to make a thing go right. Second thing, second thing is a whole lot easier to pull people down than to pull them up. Third thing that we see, that inner beauty is much more valuable than outer beauty. What are the things that the servant is looking for? He says in verse 14, may it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your drink that I may have a drink. She says, drink and I'll water your camels also. I think one of the beautiful things about this, I mean, it's, there's, there's no sense in which Isaac's criteria for judging the future mate of Isaac, I'm sorry, the servant's criteria for measuring, gauging whether this might be the one, has nothing to do with what she looks like on the outside. It's nothing to do with, oh, man, I, I know Isaac likes this kind of girl, tall and, and, and pretty and all kinds of things like that, brunette. He has nothing like that. He says, this is, what I, this is what I'm asking for, someone who's hospitable, someone who's humble. And then when I ask her for a drink, she says, I'll water your camels too. Why? Because camels in those days, a, uh, Abraham had 10 camels. Right? Thirsty camels on a journey could drink up to 20 gallons 25 gallons of water. That's a lot of water for each camel. That's about 250 gallons of water. And each time she draws water out, this is three gallons. So she's going 80 times to water these camels. His criteria in his mind is there's hospitality, not hostility, hospitality. There's humility, there's generosity, there's sacrifice, there's a willingness to go the extra mile. The willingness to, to put the needs of other people before her own has nothing to do with what she looks like. You know what? Here's why inner beauty is so much more valuable than outer beauty. It's simple laws of supply and demand. If you look in any magazine, you will see scores of outwardly beautiful people. You look on TV, you look on movies, you look on the red carpet, you look in music videos, you see pretty people, good-looking people all around. Look in Korean dramas, you see beautiful people all around. As long as you've got the right makeup, the right clothes, the right hat, the right whatever it is, plastic surgery, there's a ton of good-looking people outwardly. But how many inwardly beautiful, truly inwardly beautiful people do you know? Because I tell you, when you get 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, that's the stuff that's going to matter. I ask people all the time when they're thinking about marrying each other, I say, do you see yourself? Could you be happy with them 40 years later? Is that the kind of person, is that the kind of uh, character, is that the kind of person that you need? Right? 40 years later, somebody that you'll still be happy with, regardless of what they look like. Is this the kind of person that you could be happy together with and commit your life to? 
So a lot of times that's all we're looking at is outward. And we have these like false expectations. That's why so many times we've got some amazing people who are still single. I, I was talking with, uh, with Pastor Albert a few weeks back, and he was talking about a, a conversation he had with a, a mutual pastor that we know. And he, he talks about how um, Pal asked him, why are there so many single um, ladies available? I, my question for him would be a different question based on that. But his question, why are there so many single ladies available? And this is what Pastor said. He's like, you know, a lot of times, like we have been spoiled by this direct TV generation. How many of you guys have cable TV or direct TV or dish now, something like that? Basically, you've got a thousand channels. And I do this a lot. We, we all channel surf. I know that. But sometimes you come across this great show or this great movie. But you change the channel. Why? Not because that's not good, but because we're always wondering, could there be something better on And in our desire to try to find something better, all this time is wasted and we miss out on what God has already prepared for us. Like something so beautiful, something so wonderful. And I think the culture that we're living in has raised and elevated the standard to impossible standards of beauty, of of propriety, of rightness. I read this article about how pornography how it started, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, just exploding onto the scene, and how now a generation of men are being crippled by it who are unable to have sexual relationships with their wives because they have no idea what a real human body looks like. Because all they have in their mind are these glorified with reality. This is a, this is a pandemic. It is a pandemic that is crippling a generation because we have these impossible standards of what we think really matters in this life. I don't know if you remember uh, an actor named Dustin Hoffman. He was in movies like Rain Man. Um, One of the first movies that, that put him on the map was a movie called Tootsie where he dressed up like a woman. He, he was, he was a, I think in the movie he was a struggling actor or something like that, and he couldn't find work. And so he dressed up as a woman in order to try and find work. And when he read the script, he said, I'll only do this if the makeup people can make me believable as a woman. And so they did the makeup, and he looked at himself, and he said, yeah, I think I could pass for a woman. And then he said, but, but can you do something? Can you make me at least look pretty? If you've seen the movie Tootsie, you know what he's talking about. He says, can you make me look pretty? And they said to him, we cannot make you look any prettier than you already are. We can't, we can't do anything else. And so there's this interview. You can find it online where at this point he's talking with his wife about it, and he just, he just starts crying. An A-list celebrity starts crying. He said, in that moment, I had this epiphany. I had this, like, awakening. And he said, when I looked at myself in the mirror... I said, that's not somebody I would go up and talk to at a party. But he said, knowing me, knowing how funny I am, knowing how fun I am, knowing what a great character I am, knowing what a great personality I have, I thought to myself, how many beautiful, wonderful people have I passed over because they didn't meet my standard of outer beauty? Wow, that is powerful. Inner beauty, so much more valuable 
than outer beauty. When you've got your wife sitting in a hospital room, outer beauty means nothing in that moment. When all the stuff hits the fan, your finances are falling apart, you're getting into an argument, how pretty, how handsome your spouse is means nothing in that moment. None of those things matter. How rich they are, oh, don't worry about it, I'll buy you a this or that. None of that stuff matters. Inner beauty, it's the heart, not the art that matters. This is what's ma- what matters. This is what's valuable. Cultivate that. Cultivate that, people of God. Last thing that we see then. Last thing that we see. Your best preparation, right? the best way to be ready, is to be faithful now. The best way for you to be ready is to be faithful now. Get what it says, verse 11. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. I mean, it is a simple, it's a simple line. Right? The time when women go out to draw water. Rebecca was just doing what women are supposed to do. She was just being faithful to what she was called to do in that moment. It was an ordinary day for a normal teenage girl. That's all she was doing. Just feeding, getting water, doing stuff that I'm supposed to do. Within 12 hours or 24 hours, her life would be changed. One of the, the greatest things that, that we can do if you're single, even if you are married, one of the best ways to prepare yourself for marriage and one of the best ways to honor God and to bless your spouse is by being faithful in your present situation. And being faithful in your present calling. That's all she was doing. A lot of times we're, we're thinking so much about other people. Oh, you know what? Is he a good catch? Is he a good one? Maybe he should be the one. Oh, Lord, help him to ask me out on a date. Or maybe she's the one. Oh, she's beautiful. You know what? She's beautiful and she's got all these things. We're looking at these people. But the best way for us to be ready, not looking out there, but look inside here. Work on this. Work on you. A lot of times people are like, hey, you know what? They're, they're just little boys. When they get married, they'll grow up and they'll be men. Once they have a woman, right, they're going to grow up. Sometimes that happens, but a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't. Who you are as a single person is probably going to be who you are as a married person. If you're a lazy single, you're not all of a sudden going to become this like super industrious, hardworking, wake up at the crack of dawn married person. You're not. Yeah, marriage is a sanctifying thing, and it will change you, and it will shape you in ways that no other relationship can. But I wouldn't presume on that. Right? You want to <laughs> marry a princess, you best be a prince yourself. And vice versa. You want to get with a 10, you can't do that and be a 3. Work on yourself. Deal with all that stuff. And just because you have a wife doesn't mean a boy becomes a man. The other day, uh, Elijah had this little golf club, and when I walked in the door, he started beating me over the head with it. Just because Elijah has a golf club doesn't make him a golf pro any more than a boy having a wife makes him a man all of a sudden. And a lot of times we got a lot of boys who are married to women because they're just scoping and scamming and not really working on themselves, thinking that I'll grow up once I get this person in my life. 
The best preparation for later is that you be faithful to God and to your present calling now to work on yourself, work on your character. Don't go. I, when I was in college, there was an older sister in the campus ministry, and she said to me, hey, you know what? Instead of uh, looking out for all of these women, you focus on yourself, and I promise you here's what's going to happen. You work on your character. You work on loving Jesus, growing in him. Then you're not going to have to look and say, this is the one I want. I'm going to She said, if you do this, right, if you do this, then the ladies are going to line up and you just have to pick which one you want. And I think that's wise advice for all of us. To think about how can I grow? What is God calling me to right now? How can I grow? How can I develop my character? How can I develop my spirituality? In order that I might be the right woman, be the right man, to be able to lead a family one day. How can I grow? How can I prepare myself for that? All kinds of, as you read the rest of this, um, long story short, this is an impossible mission, like I said. Go 500 miles. Just so happen to find a girl that comes from your own family. Ask her to, to, to water these camels. Bring her back 500 miles to marry a guy who's 40 years old. He's a man. This is a man friend, not a boyfriend, right? Just get married to a man. I know you're a teenager, but that's fine. Double your age, that's fine. Impossible. For her, she meets this servant, right? Hey, can you water my camels? Sure, yeah, here. I'll go 80 times back and forth. I'll water your camels. Hey, um, you want to marry my, sir, my master? Yeah, sure. What's his name? Isaac, where does he live? Oh, about 500 miles away. Ah, oh, yeah, let's do it. This is nothing other than a match made in heaven. That God was orchestrating the events. Why? Because so much is at stake. Look, if Isaac, okay, if Isaac marries a Canaanite woman, the promise ends there. The line is defiled. If Rebecca doesn't go back with Isaac, then the mission fails. If Isaac goes and he goes back to her hometown, then he, everything, it, everything falls apart. As this is outside again of your salvation story. This is the most important decision that you'll ever have to make in your life. Do not settle for anything less than God's best for you. There is too much at stake. Your children and their children after them. This union would happen. Jacob and Esau, 12, uh, 12 children. Joseph be one of them. And out of them would come many, many years later, there would be another young girl, a virgin. And God would say to her, will you do something unthinkable? Would you be the carrier of the promised child? And this virgin Mary the same thing that Rebecca said, I'm your servant, that I'm your servant. And through her would come the seed of the woman. Who It would be through him that all nations on earth will be blessed. You see, how much is at stake here? It's not just about, oh, I like her. I'm going to date her. I like it. I'm going to put a ring on it. Let's go. So much at stake, way too much at stake. So don't settle. Maybe that means that God's best thing for your life 
if you're not married, God's best thing for you right now is that you are single. Right? Because you're not married. That's just a reality. If you're not married right now, then right now, God's best for you is that you be single, that you pray, that you work on your heart, that you cultivate inner beauty, that you're faithful in the small things. You won't go the extra mile like Rebecca did if you're not going that first mile. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to sacrifice for others if you're not doing the bare minimum. You're not going to go two miles if you're not going one mile. If you're not going, if you're being late for work, late for school all the time, you got to work on that stuff. It's all part of character development and growing. For you, if you're single, this is the best thing for you at this moment. How long that season lasts, God knows. But there's too much at stake for you to settle. If you've made mistakes, which many of us have, God wants you to know that you are forgiven, that you are forgiven and free, that he considers these things against you no longer as far as the east is from the west. He's removed your sins from you, that you're a new creation in him as soon as you repent. And maybe today would be the day for you to repent. If you're married, cultivate that and then invest in younger people. If you're married to someone you're having a hard time with, pray. God will change it. God will work in it. He wants to work in your marriage. He loves marriage. Even if we made a mistake, we think we made a mistake. It wasn't a mistake in God's eyes. If you're still together, God's got a plan for you. He wants you. He's working in you. and He's going to do something beautiful and special for his glory. Let's pray together. Whoever you are this morning, let's pray and let's entrust our lives, our future, but also maybe even more importantly, our present to God. Say, Lord, you know my desires, my longings, my wants, my regrets. You know all these things. And yet you love me. You love me. Even though I've made mistakes and even though I failed, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Let's just pray for ourselves, if you're single, for your future, maybe for your potential spouse. If you're married, pray for your spouse. Ask the Lord God that he would bless them, work in them, meet them where they are. Help them to be the people that God wants them to be. Help me to be the person you want me to be. Let's just pray for a couple moments right now together like that. Just commit our hearts to the Lord God right now.
repentance, right? Repent means to agree with God about the sin in our lives and then to turn back towards Him. So let's call sin, sin. Call it what it is. We don't need to sugarcoat it. God sees all of that. Just call it for what it is. Let's say, God, I want to come back to you. God, I want to come back to you now. Especially in this area, if you're living in impurity, you're living in a way that dishonors God <laughs> through your expectations, through what you're looking at, through what you value. Surrender that to the Lord. Just confess that to Him. Repent and turn away. <laughs> that His grace might cover over us now. So let's pray for a few moments more. Confession, repentance, and then we'll said that this was the greatest commandment in all of the Bible. You demonstrated this when you said, a new command I give to you, Jesus. Because we know the breathtaking power of a friendship, of a marriage, of a relationship done to the glory of God. But we also know the devastating, destructive effects of a relationship the center. Father, there's so much at stake. So much at stake because you've made it that way. It's something so valuable. We pray, Father, for all of us in here, for all of us who are single, that you would minister deeply to our hearts, that our joy and our contentment would be found in you. And until the day where one day you may bring someone into our lives, help us to be holy, pure, surrendered, godly men and women of character and of integrity, inner beauty, pursuing that with as much fervor, more fervor than we pursue external beauty. For those who are married, that you would bless and transform through the power of God our unions, our marriages, in order that you would be honored and that we would find joy because we live and, mar- and uh, live out our marriage according to spelled out in your word. Thank you so much as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Fill us with grace that your grace would abound now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.